I want to begin thanking Ryan, Dustin, and Greg for giving me this great privilege to preach God's word to you, Grace Community Church, a church that I love and I care for. I really love you. I pray for you. I, I think about you often when I'm in Peru. So this is, this is sweet to me. So thank you so much, brothers, for this opportunity. I also want to thank you, church, for your love, love and care for us. During our furlough, we spent three months here. We are going back to Peru Tuesday. And many families, many of you invite us over for, for lunch, invite us over for supper. We will return to Peru with good memories, and I will return to Peru with some extra pounds. And I am thankful. Thank you so much. I want you to pray with me. Today is my first time that I want to preach in English. I've never done this before. I know you're scared. I am a little bit too scared. So pray for me that the Lord will help me. Let's pray. How sweet, O oh Lord, is your grace. We can say that you die for us. My God, you ransomed your bride and she is here to hear from you. They want to hear from this man, they want to hear from you. So I pray that you will fill me up with your power and speak through me, Lord. Use my weakness. I come with fear and trembling, Lord, so that their faith will not rest in the wisdom of men, but in your power, my God. Be with us, Lord. Help us to receive your word. Prepare our hearts and mind, my God, for the glory of the one who died for us. In his name I pray, amen. This morning I want to preach to you from the book of Revelation. So take your Bibles and open it up to Revelation chapter 2. We want to read verses 1 through 7. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of God. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And I have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have. Do you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Before the Lord saved me, I never had a desire to read. I'll probably read my Bible one verse a week, if that. And yet I call myself a Christian. Obviously, I was not. But when the Lord saved me, he gave me a desire to read. So I began to read my word daily. I was searching for Jesus in the scriptures. But he also gave me a desire to read books outside of the Bible. 
The first book that I read is called North Korea. It's a small book that talk about the missionaries that, that gave their lives over there. And from that day, I began to read. I read a lot. And during our furlough, I read a couple of books. One of them is called Respectable Sins by one of my favorite writers, Jerry Bridges. I highly recommend the book to you. In his preface, he writes, this book, as the title announces, is about sin. Not the obvious sins of our culture, but the subtle sins of believers, end quote. Subtle sins, sins that we respect, sins that bring dishonor to God, yet we pass over them. We look, we overlook, um, overlook them. Breaches mention sins like anxiety, which by the way, it is a sin. Discontentment, unthankfulness, love of money, which is a sin. Very rampant in this culture, in this country. Impatience, among other sins. These are sins that we as Christians tend to tolerate. I may add another respectable sin to his book. The sin of not loving Jesus with the first love. If I were to ask you this morning, are you loving Jesus with the first love you had for him and your conversion? Probably most of you will say no. We have been so preoccupied with, the sin, with major sins of our culture. But we have neglected to deal with this subtle sin. The sin is very hard to spot, very hard to see. Why? Because it hides behind good qualities, godly qualities. Look at the church, they are making disciples. Look at the brother, the sister, they speak about sin, against sin. They know so much about the Bible, they can tell sound doctrine falls from error. Surely they are in love with Jesus, but that's not always the case. Jesus is accusing the church in Ephesus of leaving their first love. In other words, of not loving him as they once did. Their love for Jesus was growing cold. We think that because we are doing things for Jesus Christ, we are loving him with all our hearts, minds, and souls. When in fact, we can bear much fruit and at the same time, listen to this, at the same time you can grow cold toward him. You see why this sin is hard to spot? Because it makes everybody around us think that, we, that everything is okay with us. It tells us that everything is okay with us because we are doing things for him. So where are you this morning? Where have you been these last weeks? Is your love for him growing cold? Is the passion that you once had extinguishing? If that is you, I want you to open your ears, pay attention, listen to what Jesus has to say to you. So let's see how Jesus addresses this problem. So I have for you this morning three main points. Point number one, the participants of the message. Let us see what the participants of this message. Look at verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Who is writing? We all know. It's John the Apostle. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Padmas because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was sent to this island. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel. It was a crime. Look at verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, that is a Sunday, and I heard behind me 
a loud voice like the son of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Uh, John was supposed to write to seven churches and among these churches, the church of Ephesus. I wanted to talk to you about this church, but before I talk to you about them, let me talk to you about the city of Ephesus. That will help us to understand what type of church we are dealing with and we are talking about. So the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was called the metropolis of Asia. Four highways led into Ephesus. And because of that, Ephesus became the commercial city of Asia. People from many parts of the world will come here People with different traditions, different religions, different beliefs, and usually that meant paganism and idolatry. Ephesus was known for its worship of the famous goddess Diana. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In this temple, all kinds of sin were practiced. Prostitution, orgies, drunkenness, idolatry, sacrifices, magic, this city was pagan, 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 and idolatrous, infested with false gods and false doctrines. But I love it, that in the midst of darkness, Jesus plants a church. He is challenging the false gods. He says, you got nothing against me. I'm going to put a light in the darkness. Jesus said that not even the gates of Hades will prevail against his church. This is what Jesus is doing in, in Juliaca, in Puno, where we are missionaries. Those cities are dark, dark cities. Witchcraft, idolatry, paganism. But in the midst of it, Jesus has a little light, a little group. I pray for them. Pray that the Lord will use the little light to expand. Now let me talk to you about the church. Most likely, this church was founded by Aquila and Priscilla. Acts 18 verse 19 tells us that Paul left them there in Ephesus in his second missionary journey. Later, a Jew named Apollos, who was known to be mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. And as we know, Aquila and Priscilla Paul, uh, taught Paul the way of God more accurately. Paul, on his third missionary journey, returns to Ephesus. And we all know, you've been through the book of Acts, he finds some believers. He puts his hand on them. They receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. You remember that. And from then on, this church started. Paul lived three years with the church in Ephesus. This is the longest period he has spent with a group of people. Paul left a great mark in the city. Go to Acts. Acts chapter 19. Look at verses 8 and 10. And he, that is Paul, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and pursuing them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Verse, verse 10. This took place for two years. And listen to this. So that all who live in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. This is the type of example that this church had. 
A man who was in love for Jesus and was proclaiming the gospel. Look at verse 18. Many, many also of those who have believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. They were repenting. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 10. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. I'm showing you this to see what type of example this church had. After three years, Paul says farewell to Ephesus. And the next thing he does is he sends Timothy to this church. He became the elder of this church. Later, Paul sends Tychicus. And later, John the Apostle tells us his story. This church was a church that had the best teachers and godly pastors. Imagine all of them. And it is to this church that John writes the message. Now, who is sending the message? Look at verse 1 in Revelation chapter 2. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden stems, says this. The sender doesn't tell us his name because there is not a need for it. We all know who he is. And if you don't know, go to chapter 1 verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst, and in the middle of the lampstand, I saw one like a son of man. You know who he is? Maybe you don't know yet. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, that is the son of the son of man, I fell at his I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. The ESV says, Fear not. Do you know who he is? That's Jesus. That's Jesus, the Son of Man, the first and the last, the living one, the one who was dead but now is alive forevermore, the one who holds in his hands the keys of dead and Hades. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. In his message to Ephesus, he says that he holds seven stars in his right hand. His right hand represents the special care and protection that Jesus has over the elders, these seven stars are the elders of the seven churches. Dustin, Ryan, Brother Greg, he's not here. He's in China, pray for him. Y'all are in Jesus' hand. Y'all are under his care. When things are too heavy, when the burden is too much, know this, Jesus is upholding you. He will hold you fast. That's his promise for you. Jesus not only has the seven stars in his right hand, but he also says that he walks among the seven golden lampstands. These lampstands represent the seven churches. Look at chapter 1, verse 20, the end of verse 20. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Simple, right? Scriptures, interpreted scriptures. Now Jesus says that he walks among in the midst of these lampstands. That means that Jesus, that Jesus Christ, is here with us. He walks down the aisles. He's next to you. He's in the front door. He's here with us. When we come to worship Him, we are not coming to worship a God that is distant. A God that is so far away from us that He's not with us, here with us. 
No, we come to worship the God that is imminent, that is here with us. That should change the way that we come Sunday mornings, right? He is here in a special way. So now we know the participants of the message. We know that the writer, John the Apostle. We know the recipients, the church in Ephesus. And we know the sender, Jesus Christ. Let us now look into the content of the message. The content of the message, point number two. Look at verse two. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false and you, pers- and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. What a church. What a church. Jesus begins his letter praising this church. He doesn't come right away with rebukes. He is praising them. I know your deeds. Our Lord Jesus begins by acknowledging their good works. And notice, it says deeds, works. This is plural. They have a lot of works. They were doing a lot of things. This was a busy church. They put to practice what Paul wrote to them in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him so that we would walk in them. This was not a lazy church. This was an active church. They weren't just a, a hearers of the word, but a doers of the word. They work. They also toil. Jesus says, I know your deeds and your toil. The word toil means intense labor. To labor to the point of exhaustion. Exhaustion. They weren't playing of being Christians. They were the real deal, we will say. They were a spiritual army ready to battle. They worked hard. They not only worked hard. This was a church that persevered. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. Perseverance. Endurance. Steadfastness. They did not deviate from their faith and piety, even if that meant trials and sufferings. They persevered in good times and bad times. They persevered in the preaching of the gospel, even if that meant persecution. They were making disciples, even if that meant execution. This church took the kingdom of heaven by force. They were struggling to enter through the narrow gate. Deeds, toil, perseverance. We will think that these are the only qualities of this church, but there is more. I know your works and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. This was a holy church, a church concerned with its purity. They refused to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, the wicked. They didn't want to stand in the path of sinners. They want nothing to do with evil men. Most likely, they practiced church discipline. They wanted to put away the evilness of their midst. Most likely, they exhorted each other every day so that there would not be an evil heart of, of unbelief among them. They cannot tolerate evil men. And Jesus continues to say, 
You put to the test those who, those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and found them to be false. This church is a fascinating church. They had discernment. They, they could smell heresy and heretics miles away. How did they come to have so much discernment? From knowing the truth. Paul says in Acts 20, verse 27, that he gave them the whole counsel of God. This is how they learn discernment. Through the preaching of God's word. Do you see the importance of you to be here Sunday mornings? To hear the word of God. They probably learned from Paul that they were the pillar and the support of the truth. And as such, they were to preserve the truth. How? By exposing false teachers, false disciples, and doctrines of demons. This church applied the word of John the Apostle when he said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but, put, but test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They test the spirit. If they had somebody coming to preach, they were testing them. They were verifying that what, whatever he was teaching, it was according to God's word. Are oh, you doing that right now with me? I don't live with you anymore. I've been away two and a half years. You don't know what I believe now. So you need to test the spirits. Test the spirits. This church had an incredible knowledge of the scriptures. They were dedicated to it. The church in Ephesus not only had great discernment, Jesus again, again praised them for their perseverance, and these times he asked suffering for his name's sake. Look at verse 3. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. This church was going through hard times, perhaps sufferings, persecution, tribulations. Remember where they live, in a pagan city, idolatry city. They endured all without growing weary, without fainting. And notice that they did it all for Jesus' name's sake. All those deeds, all the toil, all the, all the perseverance, the endurance, for his name's sake. That's the right motive. That's the right cause. We all need to be doing that for his name's sake. Yet, there was a problem with this church. Look at verse 4. But, but, things are about to change now. No more praises. A rebuke comes now. But, I have this against you. Stop right there. I have something, I have something against you, says Jesus. Jesus has something against a church that you and I will consider a perfect church, right? Any pastor will be more than happy to have a church like this. Yet Jesus has something against her. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. All the honor, all those praises meant nothing anymore for them. The church in Ephesus did everything according to our standard, hourly. But they neglected the main point, the most important thing. They neglected their vibrant, fervent passion for Jesus. 
This church was so concerned with knowing more, with working more, that they neglected sweet communion with Jesus. But it wasn't like that at the beginning. Jesus says, you have left your first love. In other words, you don't love me anymore with the same type of love you had for me at the beginning when you came to me. You don't love me like that anymore, says Jesus. Jesus was their first love. This church had a flaming love for Jesus. And now we're in private with Jesus wasn't enough. They want more. Reading the scriptures for a couple of minutes, it wasn't enough. They want more. Praying for 50, uh, 15 minutes, it wasn't enough. They want to pray more. They were in love with Jesus. They wanted to hear the preacher preaching more than an hour. They want more. They were in love with Jesus. They were like that couple who are, who are about to get married. You know how it is. Love is strong between them. They can wait to get married. There are some here that will get married soon. Love is strong. He looks at her and says, oh, wow, she's amazing. She's beautiful. I can't wait to marry this woman. She looks at him and said, he's a dream. I can't wait. I can't wait to unite my life to this man. And then the honeymoon comes. You know how it is. You just want to live in the honeymoon all day. A whole month of honeymoon. Sometimes it lasts even a year. You don't want to go to work. You say, honey, I just want to stay with you. I don't want to go to work. We're so in love. You can just look at her and melt. But years go by. You get busy. The children come and you have to work. One child comes, two children, three children, four, five for some of you, six, <laughs> And even seven, I think. You get busy. Friends take up some of your time. You don't have time for your wife now, for your spouse, for your husband. And without realizing, you wake up next to a stranger. Brothers and sisters, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. This is what happened, spiritually speaking, to the church in Ephesus. Their passion for Jesus lasted a few years at most. And then they began to concentrate more on working for Jesus than spending time with Him. They were busier working for Christ than communing with Him. Jesus was no longer their first love. Their zeal for truth and service replaced their fervent passion for Jesus. Is this true of you? Have you left your first love? Look at you, Grace Community Church. You have grown in number. That speaks of your labor. You have gone expositionally through books of the Bible. Now you know more. You can probably tell error from sound doctrine. Your presence at the abortion clinic speaks of your hatred for sin. And rightly so. You ought to hate the sin. Sin of abortion is wicked. You have sent missionaries to Peru and China for his name's sake. You support missionaries in Iraq. 
And in India, that speaks of your desire for Him to be known. But how is your love for Jesus? Is it growing cold? Is your passion for Jesus fading away? Are you growing cold for Jesus? If so, I have good news for you, church. Jesus loves you. And He is willing to forgive you. So He gives us three steps to return to the first Love. Three steps. Dustin, this could be your next book, brother. How to go back to your first love in three simple steps. <laughs> that will sell. That will sell. So three steps to go back to the first love, says Jesus. Step number one. Remember. Remember. Look at verse five. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. This is the first step. Remember, it's the best thing you can do when you're looking for reconciliation. Because it will, it will make you desire those days. Those days when you sought for Him early in the morning. You woke up early in the morning to call upon Him. Because you want to meet with Him. You didn't want to see anybody's face in your house, only His face first. Remember those days. Remember from where you have fallen from that tender and passionate love for Jesus. I still remember those days when the Lord saved me. I was an unbeliever among you. You remember that, some of you. I used to hang out with Jeremy Brandon and I was an unbeliever. So was he. But then the Lord saved me and things changed. The, the Bible wasn't boring anymore. I wanted to read more. I wanted to know my Savior. I was ready to preach the gospel anywhere. My English was terrible. This is still terrible. But I will go to the coffee shops and try to meet people. And I will say, hey, you want to meet with me? Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the Bible. There, there are brothers here that made me like that. Like my brother Joshua. I was ready. I was ready to go and talk to them about Jesus. I remember writing down verses and pieces of paper. And at that time, I used to live with uh, Rollins Gordon, a small house. Some of you remember that. The ceiling, the house was small. You can literally touch the ceiling. And I was sleeping in his living room. I had a bomb bed, and I used to sleep on the, on, the, on, the, on the second one, on the one on top. So every time I go to bed, I will, I will stick, I will stick pieces of paper with Bible verses there. So before I go to bed, I will read them, and I will meditate on them, and I go to bed. And then when I wake up, those verses were right there. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted them to know about Jesus Christ, even if they get mad at me. I don't care. I tell me about Jesus. I want them to know. I remember those days. You remember those days, Grace Community Church, when you would, would come to me and say, Hey, man, how's your walk with the Lord? What have you been learning about him? Talk to me about Jesus. I remember those days. Or or those days still there. Still love Jesus like that. That's the first step. Remember, says Jesus. Step number two. Repent. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Make a 160 degree turn. Change of course. Repent. Come to me, says Jesus. Why is Jesus asking them to repent? 
Because they have sinned against him. Listen to me, church. It is sin for you not to love Jesus with your first love. It is sin. It's not okay. Jesus is not okay with that. Confess to him that you have sinned against him. And throw yourself into his arms. He has mercy for you. He's willing to forgive you. He's just low to anger and great in mercy. Remember. Repent. And the last step. Repeat. And do the deeds that you did at first. In other words, go back to the beginning. To those days. All the way to the beginning. When you did those deeds from your heart. Because you loved me. Do them again. Read your Bible because you want to meet with me. Pray because you want to talk to me. Preach the gospel because you want them to know about me. Do those deeds all over again. Or else, says Jesus. Or else. Sort of hard words. Jesus comes with a warning. Or else. The meek Jesus says, or else, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Either you repent or you pay the consequences. I will remove your lampstand. What does that mean? This could mean two things, the removing of the lamp, lampstand. It could mean the closing of the church. The church in Ephesus doesn't exist any longer. Not even the city. It's all ruins. Which means they didn't repent. But it could also mean, and I think this is worse, no longer a light to the world. No longer a light to the world. Jesus says, said that we are the light of the world, that we are supposed to illuminate the world with the gospel. But the lampstand has been removed from these churches. They don't, they don't illuminate anything. They're dead churches. They're buildings with people that go there every Sunday morning. But they're dead churches. And we have many of those here in Mississippi. I remember when, I remember when the, first came that I, the first time that I came to Mississippi, I remember Joe Barnes, my partner. He took me for a ride. And he drove around Jackson, Brandon, all the cities. And I noticed something. I said to him, brother, I noticed that there are churches everywhere, in every corner. Everybody are Christians here. And he looked at me and he said, no, John. You are no Christians. You are in the South. You will see churches everywhere. Everybody's a Christian, quote, unquote. But they are not Christians. I think he knew that I wasn't a Christian when he said that. And he was saying that to me. I'm glad he said it. So no longer being allied to the world. Brothers and sisters, I fear that that will happen to you. That in a couple of years, you just become a building with people. How serious is this sin? It's very serious. It's very serious. But Jesus doesn't end his message here. He reminds them of another good quality. Look at verse 6. Yet this you do have. Do you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate? You see what Jesus is doing here? He praises them again. 
He gives them praises, rebuke, and then he comes with another praise. You see how tender he is? He knows how much we can bear. It's like he's coming, and he sees them crying, and he picks up their chin and says, Hey, don't despair. You have something good. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and, and I do too. I hate them. We're in the same team. We are together in this. We're in the same battle. Jesus is so tender. So tender that a bruised reed, he will not break. He hates the works of the Nicolaitans. Who were them? There are different differences in opinion, but one thing we know for sure, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus hates their deeds. They were ungodly people, lawless people. And Jesus hates them. So, we have seen the participants of the message and the content of the message. Let us now see the last point. Point number three, the conclusion of the letter. The conclusion of the letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, pay attention. Listen to what I'm about to say. And notice the word there, churches. It's plural. As for all the churches, even for us, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. This message is for us. What, what is what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us? He's giving us a promise. Look at verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus ends his letter with a promise to the one who overcomes. This word, word in the Greek is in the present participle, meaning it's a current and continuous action. In other words, we can say to the one who is overcoming. To the one who is overcoming, I will, he will eat of the tree of life. These words take us back to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden. Adam, by his disobedience, lost his chance to eat of the tree of life. And he is kicked out, out of the garden. You remember, God puts an angel. And with that, we learn that now man is separated from the presence of God. He cannot come. When Moses built the ark, he puts two angels. And that's supposed to remind them that they cannot come to the presence of God. When the altar is built, there were curtains that separate the holy from the most holy. And what the curtains contain, they had angels in it. It's a reminder that you cannot come to the presence of God. We lost that with Adam. But now Jesus is offering us to eat from these three. He obtained it through his obedience. He obtained what Adam lost with his disobedience. You see, with Jesus, we receive much more than we Lost with Adam. He offers us much more. But notice he's offering this tree of life to the one who is conquering. To the one who is overcoming. And if you want to overcome, you must do it with a fervent love for Jesus. So are you loving Jesus? Or have you left your first love? Grace Community Church, I love you. And the last thing I want for you is for you to just become another church. We have plenty of those here. 
So think, go back to those days when you have a fervent love for Jesus. But if your passion is growing cold, there are three things that you need to remember. Remember. Remember from where you have fallen. And repent. Repent. It is sin for you not to love him with all your heart. He is worthy of your love, Grace Community Church. He has died for you. He took the wrath of God, his Father. He did this for you. When nobody loved you, he was there loving you, calling your name, but you ran away from him. Until one day, he took you by force. He didn't ask you for permission. He didn't knock on your heart. He kicked it open, and he took it for himself. You see, when you didn't want it, he did it for you. He died, he washed you in his blood. Listen to me, church. Nobody's going to love you like Jesus is going to love you. Nobody. He's worthy of your love. Worthy of your love. So remember. Remember, repent, and do those works. Those works at the beginning. I don't live with you anymore. And I don't know if you're doing those works. I remember going with some brothers, learning from them. Going to the parks, preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus. I remember that. And I pray that that passion is still there. You still love Jesus. I, I love you. I love you very much. And, and I learned to love Jesus with you. And it's my prayer. That don't, don't ever think that, it, that just because you're doing so many things that you're loving Jesus with all your heart. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. If you're not loving him, run to him. His arms are loving arms. He will hold you tight. He will make you love him again. Pray with me, church. Lord Jesus, you are so loving, Lord. So loving. We don't deserve your love. Forgive us all, Lord. From not coming to you with a, with a heart passionate for you and love for you, Lord. Lord, if this church is growing cold toward you, I pray, Lord, that you will come down. That you again will open their eyes and, and show them your beauty. That you are worthy of our love, our first love. Oh, Lord, save us. Do not remove our lampstand. Let us, Lord, shine for his name because we love him, Lord. Protect this church, my God. Protect us, Father. Your son deserves all glory, honor, and love. So I plead with you, my God. If there's some here, Lord, that, are, that their love is fading away, I pray, but but your spirit, Lord, they will run to you. They will throw themselves into your arms, Lord. Lord, I plead, I plead with you. I plead with you, my God, I plead with you. Be with Grace Community Church. May they love you more, more and more, my God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.